Welcome to the CSL Olympia podcast. In this episode, you will hear an opening prayer, followed by a talk. You can learn more about us at our website, cslolympia.org. Blessings. Ah, so just rest right where you are. Mm, and as I breathe in, I take in that life. I'm aware of that life that rushes to me, surrounds me, supports me in every moment. And it is the source, the source of the power, the creation, the unlimitedness of all. And in this unlimited source, I know there is an intelligence in all that is created. For all that is, is seeded with that divine DNA. And there is a purpose in all things that are created. And so I know that as I recognize that divine self within me, that it is perfect, it is whole and complete, and there is a purpose. There is a purpose for my joy. There is a purpose for that that I love. And as I recognize this for myself, I know it is the truth for all, that each individual is a perfect reflection and expression of that divine presence, living as each and every one, with a purpose to express that passion, that joy, that love, as that is the relationship to life itself. Mm. And I'm so grateful for this truth, for I live in a world that is filled with the passions and the love and the joy of others. And just as flowers bloom in the garden and every bird has a song, I know that each and every one has a song and a joy and a beauty that is being expressed. I am so grateful to live in this place, in this beauty and this love, And so this truth I release knowing it is. It is the purpose, the pleasure, and the joy of the presence of that love right here and now. And so it is. Passion is an interesting word. It's, you know, we think of it as something that either I love or there's a lot of emotion attached to it sometimes. Um, but it also, in, in historically, also had a connotation for suffering. Have you heard of the, the passion of the Christ? You know, and it's been used in that context you know, of suffering. 
So we have this idea of suffering, and I, I ask myself, what is it something that I would suffer for that is so important to me that I love so much I would, I would suffer as in doing something I might not want to or, or having to go through a process. But then the word suffering also has history and multiple connotations because if you remember out of the Bible, Jesus says something about suffer the little children to come unto me. Does that mean he was in pain for having kids around? No. You know, Shakespeare says the eagle suffers little birds to sing. So it meant allow. Allowing. Flowing. So our passion is an allowing and a flowing of what wants to come through us, of our authentic self. And today we use passion to describe something we love. But you know, many of us were raised to discard or suppress our passions. Anybody relate to that? Yeah? To, dis- to, to put down that which we love, that which is of the heart and soul, in exchange for an intellect-driven, adult practical life. Yes? We look for a way to earn a living instead of a way of living. And yet our passions don't go away, even if they lie buried beneath the surface of our busy, practical, and properly adult lives. Sometimes we find ways to live them on the side through hobbies and such, or just through pursuits that we do. And sometimes we just bury them repeating the social conditioning messages that we got uh, along our life's journey. Don't be foolish. Grow up. Nobody gets rich doing that. Anybody relate? You've you've heard other people say this. You know, Steely Dan wrote a song called Only a Fool Would Say That. It was on their very first album. And that song was written in response to John Lennon's song, Imagine which we all love, you know, imagine all the people living, you know, and, and their comment was only a fool would say that. So last Friday, Google celebrated the birthday of, of a woman named Altina Shinazi, who had the idea that eyeglasses could be fashionable and even romantic, and created something called the Harlequin mask glasses, better known as, anybody know? Cat eyes, the cat eye glasses. Remember those from the 50s and 60s? Actually, she invented them in the early 30s. Think about what was happening in the early 30s. The worldwide depression, yes? And here's this woman who has this idea in the midst of all that, instead of sitting there going, how can I get by? Is going, we need to be more fashionable and more romantic with our eyewear. Now, is that an idea? Is that a passion? Does it matter about the outside circumstances of what's going on? No. In fact, she tried to interest all the major eyeglass manufacturers in these glasses, and they all rejected her, saying they were too edgy. By the way, every new idea is... And for the, the limited mind, it's too edgy. But by 1939, by the end of that same decade, she was being awarded, got awards, and was being acknowledged for revolutionizing the eyewear industry and aesthetic. She got that from magazines like Vogue and Life and stores like Lord and Taylor. Her passion for, for fashion and the artistic did make her rich. 
because she eventually found a way, uh, way to get them manufactured on her own, set up her own thing, so, uh, sold them to all the stores, and like I said, by the way, they were fashionable in the, in the 30s already. And by the way, they're back, you know, saying, starting at about the 90s or so, a little more rounded, but still you know, the same general idea. And the same idea that eyewear can be fun. So, but even if we don't get rich in money or fame, following our passion, allowing it to flow, provides us with richness in life and enthusiasm. Which I don't know about you, but I want a rich life that's rich in enthusiasm and joy. We often allow the intellect to be the master of our lives instead of the heart and soul, the imagination. Einstein said that imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited whereas imagination embraces the entire world, stimulating process and giving birth to evolution. That's what our imagination does. And yet most of the time when we grew up, we were told, don't use your imagination. Don't daydream. Don't this, don't that, right? Yeah. Was it just me? No. Oh, good. Phew. Okay. Or we grew up in environments where it was too painful to feel. And so we learn to live in our heads, disconnected from our heart and soul, from our feelings and passion. You know, my hero back in my teen years was Mr. Spock. You know, the cold, unfeeling, logical Vulcan, who occasionally had to battle his human side, which he really just didn't like and, and was trying to put down. Boy, did I relate to that. But even with our passion locked up in our closets, it lurks. It sits there and goes, we hear it down below the surface, and it finds ways to express. You know, 20 years ago, I had no interest in being a minister. I was a happy practitioner of religious science. Content, comfortable, life was good. And then my dang second wife, who at that time I was still in love with, got a burn, got a call to ministry. Had to do it. And so we went to a presentation about ministerial school and while we were in Seattle, and I still remember the exact spot on the 520 bridge as I was driving home from Seattle to Bellevue, where it suddenly hit me like a brick. Why wouldn't I be a minister? I'm the kid who was saying mass in the basement, building altars in the basement, saying mass while my friends were all out playing baseball in the streets. I'm the kid who was, I'm the, the college kid who fell in love with Taoism, and then the 20-something who fell in love with Zen Buddhism, and this, this passion for the divine, and this search and this deep need to create a deeper relationship and understanding of that has been with me since as long as I can remember. I, I can remember six and seven years old having that be part of my life. Back then it was in love with Jesus, but it was still the divine that I was really in love with. And so I said yes. I tried to share, I, I, I realized that my passion is that love of God and then wanting to share it. And for a lot of my early life, it was with people who didn't care. You know? All the jobs I had and even the hobbies were attempts to live decently to kind of find, okay, well, I can't do that, so what am I going to do instead? You know, and I've got a very checkered career past. You know, I've done a whole lot of stuff. Because it was none, of it, none of it was ever what I really wanted to do. None of it was really my calling. 
And it took until my early 50s before the opportunity, the means, and the passion came together. And then it took surrendering to that passion to saying yes and taking the next necessary steps. And it's not always easy. You know, we, we sometimes have this idea that if we live our passion, just we'll be walking along a rainbow path, just strewing you know, flowers left and right. No. Answering that call eventually cost me my marriage because my wife decided to hang up on her call for ministry. It cost me a number of friends who didn't understand why I didn't want to continue devoting my life to bicycling. And it took leaving my beloved Seattle for some <clears throat> challenging places. Clarkston, Washington, <laughs> Redding, California, where my passions for good food, art, culture, and greenery were severely challenged. And yet today I live that passion, a passion that is deeper and more core than food, cycling, or even that marriage. And I feel a deep soul contentment that I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, Gay Hendricks in his book, The Big Leap, calls this living in our zone of genius. He has four different zones we can live in, and the, the, the highest is the zone of genius, where we're doing what we're good at and what we love, what gives us juice, if you will, what, what gives us energy. Howard Thurman says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. See, if Altina had sat there during the middle of the Depression going, what does the world need right now? She probably would not have come up with fashionable eyewear. But she asked the question, what makes me come alive? And went from there. Ernest Holmes speaks of the divine urge, which is the urge of the universe to push forward, to evolve. He describes it this way, he says, although the universal urge works through the individual, it never loses sight of its own cosmic purpose. In other words, this urge that goes through each of us is part of something bigger, part of something larger. It's like we're sitting here playing an instrument in a symphony, and we just notice our instrument because that's what we're playing, yes? But it's part of a bigger whole. The divine urge is altruistic serving the many through its least expression. It deals with spiritual factors such as love and service for their own sake. It is true to itself on every plane of existence. What I find is when we live our passion, it blesses everything and everyone around us, including ourselves, by the way. When we are living our passion, we are following and surrendering to the divine urge. Our passion both lifts us and deepens us in its process. And as we say yes, we cast off what is not really true of us. You know, we can have a passion for life. I think most of us have a passion for life because you're still here on the planet, yes? Okay. And that passion is such that if we get a diagnosis, we will follow paths to support that life whether that be changing our lifestyle, you know, as some of you know, many of you know, I've been walking that path recently. I've been discarding things that no longer work for me. Left bank pastries and, and uh, you know, all that good stuff. So we can 
change our lifestyle to result in greater health and aliveness, or we can choose to not follow a prescribed medical path because it calls for us to trade our aliveness for mere existence. And we decide quality of life is more important than quantity. You know, I've known people who have cancer diagnoses, diagnoses who are you know, put on a really hard path of, of recovery, and finally say, no, I'm not going to go through all the, you know, all the stuff that goes with that, especially if they're in late-stage cancer. I'd rather have a shorter life that I still have a little bit of quality of life left right now. Any of those is our passion for life. Living our passion isn't an easy stroll through a rainbow path, as I said. Living our true passion causes, calls us not only to leave behind that which no longer serves us, but difficulties, facing difficulties that we might not otherwise have to. And so whether we're creating fashionable eyewear in, in a, a world that doesn't believe in fashionable eyewear, or being a minister, there are challenges and difficulties. Yet there's that deeper satisfaction of knowing, knowing that we're on a path that is true for us. All my dreams are waiting for me to come true. One of the main blocks to saying yes to our passion, once we become aware of what it is, is our attachment to certainties and controlling outcomes. I gotta know what's gonna happen. Having to know, intellectually anyways, all the steps, all the methods, and all the outcomes of saying yes to passion. But the journey doesn't work that way. It takes, it takes facing the next step, the step that's right in front of us, and taking that step. I sometimes equate it to the, the idea that you know, if you're driving at night with your, with your headlights on, you can only see a couple hundred feet down the road. You can't see the rest of the road. But you can see what's a couple hundred feet in front of you and go that way. It works by understanding that our passion is not a straight line from point A to point B. Rather, it's a meandering path of trying things. Finding what works, finding what doesn't work. It's a path of <clears throat> making mistakes. <gasps> Learning opportunities, right? It's a path of readjusting our goals and our methods. And through it all, paying deep attention to what our passion is really about. What is it really about? You know, there's a time when I thought mine was to build a large religious science church around Hartford, Connecticut, with my wife as a co-minister. That's what I thought my passion and my, and my vision and my dream was. All through ministerial school, ministerial school is about four years long, and, and for the last two years of it, we were the couple who knew what our ministry was going to be. Bless you. Who knew what our ministry was going to be. Everybody else in, in our class was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get out of ministerial school. And we're, we're going to Connecticut, we're opening a church, and we knew that. A week before our ministerial panels, which took place in Asilomar, where I'm returning uh, this week, the whole thing vaporized. The, the two study groups that were back in, in, uh, in that New England area had a big fight with each other. The one that had no money and no place wanted us to still come back and be ministers. And the one that had the money and the place didn't want us, didn't want any minister. They wanted to run the place themselves. And our marriage was collapsing, basically, at that point. Today, 
after a little winding path. I know that my mission, my passion is still ministry. I know it. Through all the process, I've never doubted that once. It's still deepening in my love of spirit. Am I deepening in my relationship with that and understanding that and then sharing it with others? That's what I'm here for. It's what I love to do. It's just happening in a place and with people that's different than I originally thought it would be. I'm glad, by the way, because I'm a better and happier ministry for that journey, minister for that journey. So how do we know what our passion is? Because that's oftentimes what people say, I, I don't have a clue what my passion is. One of my passions is to finish up the other side of that page right there, I believe. There's some uniqueness that each of us took form to express. You came here for a reason. There are lots of things we can love enough to play with, to engage in, and since all is one, there's only one, and everything is interconnected and there's no right wrong, you can't do it wrong. Got that? Nudge your neighbor and say, you can't do life wrong. Any place we find a passion, something we love, is a thread into the deeper passion. Anything we do. When I was doing photography, which in my 20s was a passion of mine, I didn't do photography in, in the way that many people did. I did it to capture the zen of what I was photographing, which is to say, to capture the divinity of what I was photographing. That's what drove me. Learning how to cook and sharing food with other people is a way of my expressing love. See, all these things we do, that we, these little things we say I, we love, you know, probably even cycling was a way of being in love with life. With the aliveness, with the health, with being out in nature and exploring. So playing with something that we're passionate about, something we love, exercises our passion muscle, if you will. It starts to get us in practice to pay attention to, oh, what do I love? It gets us out of that left brain that says, only do what's practical and what's adult, you know, that wonderful term, adulting, that's more, you know, it's common lately. We're trying to be adulting. It gets us out of our intellect, it gets us out of our connection, and it invites us to practice a deeper listening. So I invite you to be willing to surrender certainty and attachment to outcomes. You don't have to figure out how what you love is going to change the world, make you a lot of money, make you a better person, anything like that. Just, hey, I love doing this. Does it hurt somebody else? Hopefully not. True passions don't, because they interlock with everything else. And so I invite you to play in some area of your life. Play is the natural learning process of life. And as you do that, you'll find that all your dreams are waiting for you to come true. So I'm going to invite you to two spiritual practices this week. And it's asking, asking yourself two questions and listening with compassion and curiosity to the answer. The first one is, what is something that awakens joy within me? What is something that I'm already doing in my life or that I want to do in my life that awakens joy within me? 
that I love to do, that I feel happy when I'm doing it. It's the kind of thing that I can do and lose track of time. You know, for some people it's gardening, for some people it's, it's you know, bicycling, for some people it's, you know, whatever it is. What is something I love to do? Don't make it into an earth-shattering or life-changing process. Just notice some things that delight you. And by the way, do them. Engage with them. The second question is, what is something I've been engaged with all my life that seems so normal that it's almost a background thing that I might miss and yet reveals a passion that I have? When I was uh, attending CSL Seattle 30 years ago, I was, I was a sound tech for them. And towards the end of, of my time of doing that, I kept hearing this little voice in my head going, you're on the wrong side of the microphone. But I was the one who was supposed to be up there speaking into the microphone. Which is why I let Holland run the sound today. And, and Shani. And I'm here. I kept hearing that nudge. When I finally came to my passion, it was like, well, duh, I've been doing this all my life. I just didn't think it was important. I'm just reading books and doing meditation and all this stuff, taking workshops and all this stuff. Oh, that's just, just my little thing on the side. No, it was my passion. So that's the question. The second question is, what is it that you do, have been doing on the side that maybe you think is just running behind you, that seems so normal, that might be a clue to what your passion and your purpose for being here are. So that's the two practices. What's something that awakens joy within me, and what's something that I've been engaged with all my life? Are you willing to play with those questions this week? Yeah. Great. I'm going to close with a quote from Oprah Winfrey, who said, there is no greater gift you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born and how you become most truly alive. Breathe that in. It's why you were born and how you become most truly alive. And we have an affirmation. Yes. I Say this with me, please. I celebrate my aliveness by saying yes to my passion. Okay, I want you to feel this. Come on, with some passion, all right? I celebrate my passion, my aliveness, by saying yes to my passion. So it is.